Welcome back to On the Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect on of various businesses of the COVID pandemic and how companies can survive and thrive during these difficult times and beyond. I am your host, Howard M. Rubin, and this podcast series came as a result of my realization as a senior partner of the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing businesses as an advisor and corporate attorney for over 30 years, that the pandemic has permanently changed how business is being done and how people had to look to what we're going to do to survive and thrive in this crazy world. It has such a diverse effect on industries and the people who work in those industries that it's important to address what's the reality, what's the fiction, and what the future holds. This series is sponsored by the Strategic Forum, which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida. It's an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect, trust, and continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Uh, on each uh, podcast, there'll be one member of the Strategic Forum, and the other one usually is uh, someone that's either a friend of mine who's top in his industry or uh, someone that I do business with who's also uh, top in their industry. And certainly that's what we have today. We have some exciting guests. Uh, joining us is David Barber, who's a co-owner and co-founder of Blue Hill, a working farm, restaurant, and consulting company supporting agriculture that positively contributes to the world's food system. Blue Hill, New York City, received the James Beard Outstanding Restaurant Award in 2013, and Blue Hill at Stone Barns, that's the one at the Rockefeller Estate, received the same honor in 2015, was added to the San Pellegrino World 50 list. And I can attest it's uh, one of the greatest dining experiences you'll ever have. If you get a chance, hopefully it's going to be uh, open for business soon, and uh, you should definitely try it. Jeff Colton started his food and beverage career as an attorney at a firm now known as uh, DLA Piper, focusing on food and beverage and hotel clients. After a brief stint as an M&A lawyer in the food and beverage sex sector, uh, Jeff created FMV Inc., a consulting firm that assists celebrity and celebrated chefs as well as leading restaurant brands with their non-traditional expansion. He's worked with chef brands such as Janoon, David Burke, Red Farm, Decoy, Decoy uh, Guy Fieri, Neely's, and LPQ. Uh, certainly some of those uh, are the finest restaurants in New York. He continues to provide strategic advice and financing to the industry leaders. He is also a member of the Strategic Forum. Uh, David, I have to admit that one of the major things I miss in the pre-COVID world is dining at Blue Hill. There are many high-end restaurants in New York, but the dining experience of going to Blue Hill and not knowing what outrageous small plates your brother Dan Barber would have on the menu that night was always different than going to a steakhouse where I know I'm going to get a steak. And it was always an awesome experience. Do you have any plans for reopening Blue Hill? I know it's closed right now. Uh, yeah, we're we're actually not. Um, you know, we're not closed. We're not the we're not the Blue Hill we were uh, because of the you know army of staff that that requires, and and it requires a very busy restaurant in, in both locations, which hasn't you know been possible since uh, since early March. Um, so we are 
uh, open for what's been uh, what we're calling a dinner party format, which is that people rent um, rooms uh, at each restaurant. And at, at Stone Barns, we have several rooms that are available uh, and people can come and it's a, it's a, it's a sort of low service, uh, low touch experience, just in the interest of safety. Uh, and you're in a room with people that you brought. So it, it's really like having a dinner party at your house. Um, but we've developed some great menus for that, um, for those runs, both in New York and at Stone Barns. And, and people seem to be enjoying them. We, we started that just as we uh, wrapped up a, a picnic um, menu, which we've been serving uh, outdoors uh, this summer. And again, the idea was something that was not a lot of you know, high-touch service, but rather just the ability to have somebody else do the cooking for you and enjoy a restaurant experience in as safe of environment as we could provide. Um, and we hope to, you know, to be back when, when COVID permits it. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And I, and I certainly look forward to uh, experiencing the new Blue Hill, and uh, because it was anything like the old Blue Hill, I know it's uh, unbelievably and awesome. Uh, Jeff, with uh, COVID cases exploding around the country in high-end restaurants, which is what we're talking about, the COVID effect on high-end restaurants, not being able to pivot to takeout, what do you believe has to be done to save our restaurants until everyone gets the uh, vaccine and to ensure that they're going to survive uh, past this difficult period? Uh, that's a, a large answer, but I'll try to do it short. First, I have to echo what you say about Stone Barns. My wife grew up walking distance from Stone Barns in Tarrytown, and that was our place to go. And we'd walk there, and after drinking all the great wines there, walk home. <laughs> so it's great. Um, so that's a good way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Don't drive. Uh, <laughs> so the situation is FUBAR, um, to use an expression I can use on the air. Um, it's really going to be difficult. Um, I've been working with several of the top restaurants in the country, most of which are either closed or barely open. Um, and, you know, the issues come from, you know, landlords first. I mean, just looking at New York, in October, 88% of the independent high-end restaurants in New York could not did not pay rent, any any rent. Okay. 60% of the landlords haven't waived any rent. Um, of the 40% of the landlords who did, less than 25% of those waived more than 50%. And over 80% could not renegotiate their leases. So those are statistics from a very in-depth survey from the New York Hospitality Alliance. Um, you know, you're, if, if you can't open, you can't serve. So let's step back to the beginning of the pandemic. Pandemic hits, PPP loans come out, restaurants apply for it. But if you're not going to open, the PPP loans really didn't do anything. Most of the restaurants I work with had to return the money because giving that money to employees who are not going to work and they're not going to generate revenue means you couldn't pay the money back. So the PPP money never really helped the independent restaurants and the high-end restaurants. Um, the landlord issue is going to continue. It's just a, a very difficult issue because that's one of your highest costs. And high-end restaurants are just not set up for takeout. So 
what can you do? Let's, let's be positive. Um, a lot of the restaurants are looking at how do you leverage your skill sets? Some of them are creating secondary fast casual brands. Some I've um, working with a restaurant in, in Northern Jersey, top restaurant created a high end food truck. Um, some like, you know, following stone barns have created farmers markets. Uh, so top steakhouses are bringing in their butchers and selling direct to customers, top and unusual meats. Uh, large seafood restaurants are selling or creating fish markets. Large places that have great desserts and bakers are selling baked goods. And they're also fresh produce are sold as green grocers. Um, but that's, you know, though, I don't say there was a last ditch, but those are, you know, what do you do until the, until the, the clientele is coming in and the clientele is not just dinner clientele, but in a city like New York, it's the business traveler and the business men and women who are eating at lunch, eating at dinner, celebrating, having meetings. And until that comes back, it, it's going to be tough. So, um, I wish I had great, great ideas. Um, but yeah, the, the, the hospitality industry is, is always been creative. They've done tremendous things for the community, but I really think they need two things. They need a bit of further bailout from the federal government that identifies how important the hospitality industry truly is. And I'm hoping we're going to get that with president elect Biden. And I think that there has to be a some type of negotiation between banks who finance the commercial landlords who are the landlords to the restaurants, because there's got to be some give among those three parties that allow them to work together. So that's my quick answer. And, and David, what do you think of uh, the importance of stimulus? Is that is that going to be uh, critical to being able to open uh, pre-vaccine, pre, pre, uh, that we're back to a more of a normalized world. How do you, how do you view that in, in terms of what can do? Yeah, I think what, you know, what the stimulus, um, allows restaurants to do, uh, and what in, in, in our case is sort of reinforcing what Jeff said, but also different, differing it with it a little bit. We did take a PPP loan. We have used it. We spent it. Uh, and we kept a, a lot of staff employed. We still have, you know, 85, 87 people on payroll, um, which for two restaurants, there's not a lot of two restaurant operations right. that have that many people going. Um, but we've been really creative. We've created a, a real box program, which is not just, you know, food to go, but is more of a uh, assembly kit for meals at home. We've been doing uh, education and chef education work. We've been running these picnics, all of which, you know, has been facilitated by the fact that the government is allowing us to use that loan to pay people. Um, and then we are fully anticipating that they will forgive that money that we use to, to, to maintain payroll, right. uh, which is what they asked us to do with the money. So doing that again, uh, you know, the format that, that is in front of, of Congress now is, is quite different. It's direct injection into restaurants and it won't be a loan. It'll, it'll truly be a subsidy if it's passed. Uh, but what that's really going to do, whether it's a forgiven loan or a direct injection into the business, is, is give restaurants the opportunity to continue employing people, hopefully continue supporting their landlords to the extent that they're possible, and to continue to be creative without having to worry 
exactly how you're going to make a long-term financial model, uh, you know, out of building that. Blue Hill is not a, a box business. We're not. We've turned ourselves into a production facility in a lot of respects, and that is not our aspiration for the long term. Uh, but we don't want to lose the DNA of the business. We don't want to lose our talent. We don't want to lose our lease. Um, and so we want to stay alive until a vaccine and life permits us to go back to the type of business we had before. And government you know, plays a very important role in creating that bridge for the industry. Without it, I think you are looking at you know devastating numbers of, of bankruptcies, which will ripple through the real estate market and the and ultimately the banks that hold that debt um and restaurants will rebuild with different owners and there's always going to be people who want to open restaurants and i think there'll be a flood of new pent-up business on the other side of covid whenever exactly that is uh the question is who, who's serving those customers on the other side of covid is it great restaurants that were 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 catastrophically hit by this or is it only new businesses that were minted uh, as a result of all the destruction that took place during COVID? And, and that story is, is not been told one way or the other yet, um, but it's getting close. And if they don't, if they don't pass the package soon, um, it's going to be the latter. It's gonna be a lot of new restaurants and a lot of old ones just won't be there. I and I think that would be a shame. I note that, I noted that, uh, I noted that uh... Danny Myers has uh, announced uh, Friday that he's uh, closing both indoor and outdoor service at uh, Union uh, Square uh, Cafe and Gramercy uh, Tavern and Blue Smoke, uh, which kind of tells you where this is all going. Um, I had a thought, and tell me what you think of this thought. You know, one of the issues besides the uh, government assistance is getting people before the vaccine is readily available, being, being, being comfortable with coming back to restaurants. And in restaurants in New York, and I, I assume it's in other places, they get raided from uh, ABC, and uh, uh, maybe there has to be some kind of a government rating as to COVID uh, security to give patrons the feeling that if they come back to a restaurant, they're safe because it's, it's no longer people are just going for the food. They need to know that they're going to be safe. And the only way I can see giving them that safety that it's a, a COVID-compliant COVID restaurant is maybe some kind of government uh, certification. What do you think of that, uh, Jeff? Uh, um, I agree with you that the safety is, is key. Um, actually, I was just talking with a uh, former client, Dean Paul from Gallagher's, who uh, actually installed a kiosk when you walk in that says whether you're wearing a mask, takes your temperature, so you're not holding a temperature at your head. Um, and it's you know like walking through an airport. It's a little kiosk. You walk into it, tells, says that you're okay, and lets you walk in. And that seemed to have really resonated with his guests. So I think there's something to what you're saying that the safety is really important. Knowing, um, you know, uh, the smarter restaurants on their website have explained what the seating is like, how the reservations are done. If you're picking up, how you do that. Um, the insurance companies have even gone into giving information about what you need to say to protect yourself. But the government coming into rate, I, you know, I. 
by the time that, well, uh, who knows? I, I, it's not a bad idea, but I think that by the time that they get around to that and they do it effectively, hopefully a vaccine will be available. Um, but I want to go back to something, uh, David said. They, um, you know, Stone Barns. You know, what can these restaurants do until there's a vaccine? Um, you know, I was going to bring some things up, but apparently they're doing most of them. Some of the clients we're working with, they're doing cooking demos. They're doing specialty dinners. They're doing tastings and interactive events. They're doing private reserved areas like, like Stone Barnes is doing um, and being creative and uh, just forcing companies to spend their time being creative to stay alive is just not a winning formula. Um, and I think that this direct stimulus is really necessary. Um, and if that works and the government is getting more involved in making sure the hospitality industry survives, then you know, perhaps that same committee looking into that could look into the safety factor. But um, I, I think it is unfortunately incumbent upon the restaurants to, to, make, uh, to make sure that, that their customers are safe and doing what they can to make them feel that this is a safe environment. There have been a lot of, of studies also that have come out prematurely about how indoor dining is the worst possible thing. Um, that doesn't help. Uh, but more research needs to be done as well. Uh, David, the uh, in New York, uh, they announced recently that, again, they're putting a 10 o'clock curfew on restaurants to, uh, to close. Is it feasible to have a restaurant that has to close by 10 o'clock? I mean, what are you going to kick the patrons out? And uh, it's going to be uh, limited senior? Yeah, I think with, with winter, um, you know, it's it's not unreasonable. Um, and I do understand the restriction because the, the issue is, you know, later at night, uh, more drinking, more carelessness, and a more uh, sort of lackadaisical approach to the to the rules, the later in the evening it gets. So they're they're trying to present, you know, prevent super spreader events or somebody from from being silly and and you know turning a restaurant into into an operating bar. Uh, you know, post ten o'clock, most people are done uh, eating their entrees anyway, uh, at least at our restaurant. And so, you know, why are they in there? Um, we're not removing people from the restaurant. We're just stopping the, the service part of the evening so that they're not ordering you know, more alcohol or, or more food after that time. So I don't think that's that big a burden. The, 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 the issue is the discouragement of drinking or the idea that, you know, if I now go to dinner at four o'clock, I'm going to drink lighter or I'm not going to drink wine. I'll just have a, you know, a Spencer like that, that ends up hurting restaurants, right? Because they need the revenue from the beverage side of the, of the equation. Uh, a lot of restaurants aren't really making money on the food. They're making money on the alcohol they sell. Uh, and so if, if consumers are kind of gearing their whole nights earlier and just drinking less, then you're inadvertently and unintentionally hurting the business. But it's it's not uh, it's not a nothing on the bottom line. And so that just adds a certain amount of, of pressure to an already you know tight financial situation. Um, so it's unfortunate that I from a safety perspective to do understand the motivations. The other point I would make just you know to, to the question earlier and what Jeff was saying I, I do think between now and the and the vaccine where everyone you know feels safe because they're vaccinated and everyone around them is vaccinated yeah you're going to see a lot of safety protocols uh, come to restaurants we are 
testing our staff uh, regularly uh, for their safety and and for our own safety and and just to show our staff that we care about their safety. They work in they're in a restaurant environment. They're working closely with one another um, indoors. So our our biggest concern is our guests um, and the temperature checks and those you know that monitor. I think Jeff was referring to is, is clear, which is a system that was in airports that's been adopted by. John George and some other restaurants that take temperatures and masks, and it, it's good. But there's a lot of asymptomatic people that Correct. that are not, you know, having fevers and going into restaurants and and can be spreading. So I think ultimately, uh, you need to provide rapid testing for guests, and I think the industry will have to figure out um, a way that the FDA can get behind doing that affordably, maybe with government assistance. Um, when you go out to eat, we are we are looking into doing it uh, now to, to figure out a way to do it legally at Blue Hill. We'll offer it to customers. I don't know that we can require it, but we would like to be able to offer them, you know, rapid 20 minute testing where they sit in a room and wait <laughs> and then they enter the restaurant and we know and they know that they have just tested negative for COVID. And I think that would just make the whole experience a lot better for everybody. But but who's paying for it? And and in the case of Blue Hills clientele, if it's priced reasonably, and they're just adding it to the cost of their dinner uh, in exchange for the comfort that they get, knowing that everybody else in the room has done the same thing, I think people will buy it, at least for a little while. Um, but that's a special clientele, and that's that's not indicative of the whole restaurant industry. So if you turn to, to you know, your average restaurant in New York City and say, would you like to go out to dinner, and we're going to charge you, you know, $50 a person for in a rapid COVID test, you know, how many people say, no, thank you? I, I think a lot, uh, unfortunately. Um, and maybe if they're getting ready to travel or they have something else or they were going to get a test anyway, they, they use going out to dinner as an excuse. Um, but I think it, it's it's hard to understand how people or restaurants will pay for it at that scale. So there is an example of where the government could step in and just say, hospitality is museum, you know, everybody gets uh, a government-supplied set of testing gear that that the U.S. government pays to to have you distribute uh, and administer safely and reliably. Howard, can I just comment on that for a second? Sure. So, yeah, you know, sure. David brings up a really great point about the ten o'clock curfew because it's um, so many restaurants really have made it through COVID by delivering alcohol and wine with their dinners. Um, it has really jacked up sales and margins. And while I understand not wanting people to drink and sitting at a restaurant, I, I agree it's going to have a really – the 10 o'clock curfew, I, I'm already talking to restaurant owners, it is having a real effect upon alcohol, which is a driver to the bottom line. It's a much higher margin than food. And having government officials from the food and beverage industry would really be helpful. I mean, it's just, you know, it, some some things have come out in New York City and New York State and federally where it's just obvious that no one who is making these regulations understands the industry and where where the dollars are and how the operations really profit. Um, but that's just a side comment. I'm sorry. Well, New York has been uh, one of the states that's probably had the most restrictions on restaurants. But if you go to Florida... Um, the the government there, the, the the state government at least, has has put very little restrictions on. And um, uh, I was wondering what you think of of the job that uh, the local and state government in New York is doing 
in monitoring restaurants and uh, combining the balance of the restaurant industry and public health. Uh, David, what do you think of that? Do you think they're doing a good job? I mean, you know, look, I have I have people that are close to me that are that are at risk. Um, I have young kids that, you know, young in, in, the, in the late teens and early 20s that, you know, believe they're invincible. And I really recognize the, the public health risk. Uh, and I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor. And I do believe that these regulations and these people, while they may not understand our industry, are trying to do uh, what they think is best to protect the public at large. Um, so I don't, you know, particularly agree with what I've been seeing in Florida, and I, I feel proud to be a New Yorker and to be uh, trying to run a business while abiding uh, by the rules that Albany and the city um, have decided we need to live by. It doesn't mean that they're not painful. And it certainly doesn't mean that I'm I'm signing off on the idea that we're going to make it to the other side of this without any help. We won't. Um, but that said, you know what are what are we risking? If I, you know, we're risking uh, an old folks home getting contaminated because restaurants are running and serving booze until twelve, you know, or one in the morning, and that's when the spike takes place. Then it's absolutely not worth it. And we should we should we're creative people. We should figure out some something else and save lives. I and mean, it's not worth people that we care about well being. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know enough to say what the, what the right answers are. I've heard very varying opinions about what is, uh, acceptable in, in restaurants. I do think some of the rules are arbitrary. I mean, I look around New York city, there are a lot of restaurants that have, you know, built outdoor dining facilities, uh, that don't have any airflow. I mean, they're completely contained and they've got heaters blowing in there and you may as well be sitting inside. You're not any safer because you're on the sidewalk and you would be inside the restaurant. You're probably less safe because uh, there's no air ventilation. So I, some of that strikes me as just being silly and you're skirting a rule and nobody's being safe. Um, but but it's a tough situation. And, uh, and I think erring on the side of caution in the name of humanity, um, as painful as it is for business, is, is probably the right thing to do. Um, and then thank God we have, you know, a vaccine that looks, you know, promising. At least there's light at the end of the tunnel. The question is, you know, what, what help are we going to get to, to get to the other side of the tunnel? And Jeff, what do you think of the balancing uh, between um, uh, public safety and uh, restaurant survival? Do you think that New York City is doing a good job in, in that balancing or other places doing a better job? I, I, again, I... I'm not a scientist either, um, and I've heard wildly different opinions on both sides. I think I would want to err on the side of caution. I mean, I've got 87, 88-year-old parents, and, you know, I, I don't want them to get sick because of it. So, but at the same time, the industry, especially in New York City, you know, there are unique factors in New York City that are just making it really, really difficult. I mean, what people don't realize is tourism's down 67%, okay, this year from last year. Last year was 70 million, it's down, it's down 67%. And tourists spend more money. They stay longer, they spend more money. Um, and the international, Tourists are not coming back for a while, and that really drives New York City. Um, 
you know, uh, the, uh, the another comment just from talking to Dean. You know, it, they're across from two office buildings. One has four thousand workers. The other has six thousand workers. The one with four thousand workers has one hundred fifty there right now, and the Paramount building um, that normally has six thousand people has two hundred fifty people there. You know, that's the, they're drawing from those from those office buildings to come into their to their restaurants. So if the office workers aren't there and the tourists aren't there, um, you, know, you you you're just handicapping people's ability to survive. And the other thing that hasn't come up a lot is that you know, let the the hospitality industry is probably I, I think it is the largest employer of less educated workers in the city. And so it's it's the loss of tourism and the hospitality industry losing 130,000 jobs. You know, it, it's it's hurting the less educated workers also. So it's it's having just tremendously negative effects on, on the city. And uh, but then again, I, you know, I'm always going to err on the side of caution and people being healthy. Got to find a balance. Um, and I'm just hopeful that the new administration is going to, you know, I, I know they're putting committees together with people who I know some of the people they've contacted who are the tops in their field, who are coming up with real strategic plans and how's the money going to be allocated. And I'm I'm just hopeful that there's a, a solution, a short term solution until the until a vaccine is really readily available. It's just a pity what's happening. I'm, I'm sorry to be so negative. I mean, I just, it's. No, I, I, David, I, Jeff, I would add to that. And, and Howard, to your point, you know, I would say, do I approve? I think that the, the bottom line is, yes, I approve on erring uh, to the side of, of, you know, health for all uh, with the regulations and the threat that COVID faces, but doing that without the financial assistance right. that allows this industry to, to uh, survive is is irresponsible because that too is going to kill people. I mean, no question. It's, it's you know it's 12 million jobs that that are dependent on a bridge here. And if you if you expand that 12 million into the linen companies and the service businesses that 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 help the oh, hospitality yeah. industry, you're talking you know over 20 million jobs. So which one of those people doesn't get to make it as a result of government inaction? And and that's a fair question, uh, yeah. while at the same time wanting to protect, you know, people who are exposed to the disease. Uh, you're not protecting everybody unless you you act across the board. Well, that's uh, that's uh, seems to be realistic, but uh, somewhat depressing. In that, uh, you know, Jeff is talking about the Biden administration. That's not coming uh, around till uh, January twentieth, which is a, a long time. And uh, it doesn't look like, although maybe I'm wrong, that there's going to be any kind of a consensus for a stimulus package before then. Uh, and it looks like we're going to be in for a tough uh, couple of months. Uh, eventually, there will be a stimulus package, but uh, the, the ones that—it's not just the people who aren't going to the restaurants. It's those those people that uh, you both uh, refer to. Who are the uh, the workers? Over hundred thousand uh, restaurant industry workers who uh, who are suffering. So um, let's hope that uh, the Democrats and Republicans can get together and at least get some stimulus package now that the election is over, and not wait until January twentieth before we uh, get serious about uh, a stimulus package. 
and get something done. I, I, I have trouble understanding why when they're fighting over whether it should be uh, $1 trillion or $2 trillion or $3 trillion, that uh, let's get some trillions out to the, uh, to the economy. But um, uh, hopefully that will be done. Anyway, I want to thank uh, both of you for uh, participating in this. I think it's been a, a very um, informative uh, podcast, and I think that uh, the listeners will, uh, uh, will go away with not maybe a lot of optimism, but uh, hope, <laughs> hope for the future that uh, the restaurant industry, the high-end restaurant industry will come back, and there is a future, and there, uh, but that future is going to depend a lot on uh, a stimulus package and ultimately a vaccine before we can get back to any kind of new normal. Uh, if uh, anyone... Howard, uh, I'll, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just add to give you a, a positive note to end on. I'll, I'll yeah. something my, bro- my brother reminded me of a little while ago. The, re- right. the restaurant uh, you know, was founded in, in France when it began, and, and the right. restaurant really was... Not what we think of as a, as a restaurant it was a gathering place for a very very uh, special occasion gathering place uh, for people to meet as a group, and it was literally called the restaurant as a, a place of restoration. Um, and those places of restoration are going to be here on the other side of COVID. Hopefully, yes. they resemble what we knew, uh, but the restaurant industry will will be back and fighting one way or the other. Let's hope, let's be hopeful it's a it's a less painful route, but we're going to get. Well, amen. And if anyone wants any uh, further information about uh, the speakers uh, or about what we would discuss today, uh, I suggest that they can contact Tony Ann Ficken at T-O-N-I-A-N-N-E at the strategicforum.com, who can uh, answer questions or direct you um, as necessary, or you can call myself at uh, Gets Fitzpatrick, uh, 212-695-8100, extension 334. I want to thank uh, both David and Jeff for participating in this, uh, and it's been, I think, very helpful and very informative to a lot of people. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.